Hey, welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. On today's episode, I got the very fun chance to interview Jack Moody. Jack Moody is a novelist and short story writer from wherever he happens to be at the time. You'll actually find out in the show. He is the author of the novel Crooked Smile, the short story collection Dancing to Broken Records, and the forthcoming novella The Monotony of Everlasting out October 1st, 2022 from Anxiety Press. He is a former staff writer from the literary magazine and podcast Brick Moon Fiction, and his work has appeared in multiple publications, including including Misery Tourism, Malden House, Punk Noir Magazine, Scatter of Ashes, Paper and Ink Magazine, and many others. He didn't go to college. I have no idea why he wants us to know that. In this very wild episode, we talk about weird celebrity encounters, Taylor Swift, 9-11, and Jack's new book, The Monotony of Everlasting. Stick around to hear all the other random topics we get into and Jack read from his novella, Due Out, from Anxiety Press. I hope you dig this very, very weird episode, and if you do, be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and or review. Or just hit me up on Twitter. I love hearing all the feedback and all the listeners who actually take time to actually listen to this weird show. I hope you enjoy the episode. Here's Jack. So, how's your day going? Good. It just started. Well, kind of. How's yours? I was going to say, I saw tweets of yours from earlier. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. Uh, are you talking about the audiobook thing? You have quite a few tweets from what I saw. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, there was one specifically I wanted to talk about, and then I was like, should I? And then I was like, I should. Yeah, if you think you should, you should. So, okay. This was three hours ago. <laughs> um, when the hell did you sleep, by the way? <laughs> Uh, I fell asleep at, like, 1 in the morning and then woke up at, like, 6 in the morning, I think. Isn't that funny how we predicted that I would have a lot more rest than you would? I actually only woke up an hour ago. Oh, hey, good morning. (laughs) Yeah, I got my coffee and everything. Yeah, me too. I'm all ready. I mean, I sort of woke up earlier because my cat wakes me up to feed her, and... Yeah, she'll lose her mind if I don't, and I'm afraid that she'll kill me. Yes. If I don't, that is, and that plays into your tweet. <laughs> <laughs> that's my exact situation, and that's what brought that tweet. I was woken up by my cat. <laughs> and, like, I don't know, I think it's so funny how cat owners are just totally embracing our death. Oh, yeah, Like, constantly. we're just fine with it. Yeah. But I like that you said it was high up on your list. What other things? <laughs> Um, off the top of my head, what's probably the best way to go? I think dying in your sleep is overrated. It's too easy. Like, I need a little bit of flash, you know? Like, a little bit of excitement. And what if I'm having a bad dream? Like, I'm, I'm just having a shitty nightmare and then I die. And then I'm paranoid that, like, you know, I don't know what happens after you die. What if the nightmare becomes the rest of your reality, you know? Because I hear about how, like... Some people believe that the afterlife is just, like, the last neurons firing off in your brain 
that it, that are like extending your perception of time so you get stuck in like whatever is the last thing your brain's firing off and what if the last thing is like this horrible nightmare and then you're basically in hell for however long i don't know i haven't died yet but still i think about that it that you know of Exa- right <laughs> this could just all be one weird ass afterlife it's not that bad then it's definitely uh still hell but it, it, it's a, like a pretty comfortable <laughs> one i i imagine that like because they're probably like different like offenses that one can make before they die that like there are different tiers of hell and one can just be like pure monotony where you're trying to live your life and you never really fully make it mm-hmm. maybe i i like your hell though um you could write <laughs> the next nightmare on elm street movie <laughs> Yeah, I'll work on that. I'll take some notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we actually, we recently, this is how, you know, I'm actually getting old. I, I was about to say we recently had Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake, filmed over by where I live, but I think that was actually 10 years ago. <laughs> they made a remake? But, yeah, it actually really sucks. I mean, I know, I I'm throwing my people under the bus, but it was terrible. <laughs> Where are you from? Where was it filmed? Um, I'm from Chicago. Oh, Most yeah. of it was uh. filmed in Mount Prospect, where I currently am. Oh. And uh, it wasn't Mount Prospect's high school. It was like the next town over like Elk Grove, their high school. Oh. Yeah, we have a history of having some pretty cool movies that take place in high schools filmed here. I mean, it's a niche. John Hughes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we are all able to be like, oh yeah, that's the football field, the Breakfast Club, yeah. They've had they've filmed. It's getting more popular now. Um, I don't know why I'm just now getting comfortable with sharing where I'm from, but I'm from Portland, Oregon. Um, and are you afraid that people are going to call you a hipster? No, I'm just so fucking private. I just want people to leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, it's getting a lot more popular now. For people to film here so that's kind of starting to pick up because portland is like we're we're like a cup you know three hours away from just total desert like an hour away from the ocean you drive 45 minutes here in the mountain you know it's like snow and in this forest right next to us so there's a bunch of different locations you can film at so i think people are figuring that out now but all i can think of is um did you ever see the movie elephant by gus van zandt Mm-hmm. That was filmed in Portland. I think it's supposed to take place in Portland, too. Really? It, yeah, it takes place, and it was filmed in Portland. I forget what school it was filmed at, but um, one of the uh, main character. Well, he's actually not a main character. I don't remember how well you know the film, but... I haven't seen it in years. I haven't either, because like, it's one of those movies where it's like, once is probably enough. It's a one-and-done film. Yeah, but there's this, like, long-haired, blonde kid who's, I think he's always, like, walking around filming shit, or he's, like, a photographer or something, and when they're walking into the school, uh, you know, spoiler alert for, for, well, every single day in this country is a spoiler alert. Trigger warning. (laughs) Trigger warning. Which is the worst, like, name for a trigger warning for this. I know, it's a little on the nose, isn't it? But as the kids are about to walk into the school... They, like, I guess that kid had been nice to them or whatever, and they're like, don't go in there. 
and he runs off. That guy went to school with my ex. <laughs> she was like in his grade or whatever at the school they went to. It really sucks because I immediately looked up the cast, hoping that I would actually be able to be like, oh, I know who you're talking about, but it shows them all as adults. So, no, I have yeah, no idea. Just, I don't think he really, I don't think that was like his big break or anything. I haven't heard of him since then. I was say, if we haven't heard of him since then, the break didn't happen. Yeah, well, there's always time. Good luck, man. Yeah, I mean, he could always be like John Hamm, who suddenly falls into a Mad Men situation and then starts doing insurance commercials afterwards. Yeah, you know, living the dream. Which I do find, like, the irony of the fact that, like, a guy who is in a show that was completely about ads has now spent the rest of his life now being in ads. <laughs> yeah, he's got to be at least, like, peripherally aware of that, aware of the irony of it. One would hope. Yeah. <laughs> But no, we have a long history of things being filmed here in Chicago. I mean, mainly in the 80s was, like, the big, iconic era. I don't know what actually, like, drives people to film things in certain areas, but I think, obviously, John Hughes was a big deal. Maybe taxes, like tax incentives. Yeah, that's a big part of it. We only recently started to have things shot here again. Um, The Dark Knight movies are what, like, restarted the film thing here in Chicago. Oh, shit. That was in Chicago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually really cool, because uh, we actually got to see the semi-truck flip. Whoa! <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I never think about that, that they, like, have to do those really big-budget movies. They have to do scenes like that. And it's, like, in a city, they just have to close down a few blocks or whatever, but there are people that can, like, watch that happen. That's kind of crazy. Well, my favorite part about that, and everyone was always like, oh, yeah, they really blew up a place that was supposed to look like a hospital, too. And it's like, we do explosions all the time in Chicago. (laughs) But the semi-truck thing was cool because it was, like, right in the middle of downtown. That's wild. And, like, the whole time you're watching it, you're like, how did our mayor approve this? Like, I know this could hit a building at any time. Like, how are they doing this? Money, so much money. Yeah. Well, obviously, they must have made some good tax break or whatever. But the third movie wasn't filmed here for some reason. Who knows? It's probably for the best. I think that was kind of the worst one. (laughs) It really did suck. I I might be the only person who's, like, really, really reading into it or anything, but I got a very heavy Blue Lives Matter vibe from Christopher Nolan. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And a very, like, anti-Occupy thing. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm millennial. Definitely. Yeah. It's like, I, I totally lost all love for him, but then Dunkirk came, and I really like Harry Styles, so I was like, I'll give it to you, man. Dunkirk, is Dunkirk the one where it's, like, all one continuous shot of, like, the two guys trying to reach the front lines or whatever? Or is that a different movie? Oh, no, that's 1914 that's 1917. or whatever. 1917, yeah. Or 1914. Fuck, I'm not really good with World War One. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, me neither. It, it, it's before my time, believe it or not. You know, it's one of those annoyingly weird things where it's like, yeah, the war started, but we really only know when we got in. And it's always at, like, the finish line. And we're like, yep, America helped. Yeah, nailed really, it. It's like the last couple <laughs> months. Like, we saved the world. Good job. But no, Dunkirk is uh, three... Uh, perspectives. One is um, 
the guy who plays Bane, he's in the British Air Force. There's a name for that. The Royal uh, Air Force, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. RAF. So he's heading to Dunkirk, and then you also have the boats that are heading to Dunkirk, and that guy is also in the Batman movies. He's Scarecrow. Oh, yeah. Uh, dude with uh, very, very pronounced cheekbones. Good yeah. profile. Solid facial structure. I forget his name. <laughs> it, it, it's so sad where I'm just like, I'm able to identify you by your characters in the Batman movies that you're in. <laughs> that's kind of how but, it happens. You just get, you're like, oh, yeah, that's really the guy is. from that thing. You're like, yeah. That's me. <laughs> and then you get the soldiers who are at the uh, beachhead who are waiting to be rescued, and Harry Styles is amongst them. <laughs> and I feel very lied to, because everyone's like, Harry Styles, Harry Styles, and he's not the star at all. Yeah, he's just like in a scene, but then he's up on the marquee just so people will show up, yeah. Yeah, like Drew Barrymore and Scream, like, ah, oh, the star, wait, no, you're dead? Why? That scene's still, like, iconic, though. That's, like, she still got the minute, you know, like, the... She got to star in the scene instead of just kind of being, like, brought in. Like, everybody was talking about, um... What's her name? Barbie Ferreira, the girl that plays Cat in Euphoria. Mm-hmm. Being in Nope, and everybody was all excited about that. She literally just shows up for, like, two lines, and then she's out. I mean, they do the same thing with that one, uh... Godzilla film with Brian Cranston. Yeah. And he's like in it for like 10 minutes. Drew Barrymore, though, like she, she made Scream. That was really awesome. Oh, yeah. Because it was the bait and switch, and everyone actually was all right with it, and I like that. Yeah, it worked with the movie. It was cool. Yeah. Apparently, I only recently learned this, and this is so weird, and I'll take this off the horror movie segue soon, I swear. No, I love this but, stuff. I'm a huge Scream fan. I'm addicted, so you know, name a Scream fact. I already probably know it, but I did not know that during the promotional tour, the only person they sent to do promotion was Drew Barrymore. Why? That's weird. They wanted to trick everybody into thinking she was a star. Oh, so just She's to get first people billed. to show up? Yeah. Nev Campbell was only in like a tiny TV show. And I can't remember if she was in that one, was it called The Craft? I don't know. Either before or after, yeah. I just know her from that movie, from the Scream movies, and then that one kind of creepy movie where she's making out in the pool and Matt Dillon's there. That's all I remember. Wild Things. Wild Things, that's it, yeah. (laughs) I just recently met the uh, director of that. Oh, for real? (laughs) Yeah, my uh, co-host for my horror movie podcast. He had an art show, and he mentioned him, and I was just like, wait, he's here? And I was like, you're going to have to give me an introduction. And I got to tell you, it was like the lamest introduction ever. (laughs) (laughs) Mainly because I was just going to be like, don't act like a fan. Don't act like a fan. And I acted like so not a fan that I just kind of disappeared into them talking about politics. And then I was like, all right, now I'm going to go check on my fiance and see if we need anything else to drink. That sounds fun. What's the guy's name? Has he done anything else other than that one movie? Um, he actually did a very cool horror movie um, called Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh! Is that... Um 
Oh, no, that's not what I'm thinking. That's not the other Matt Dillon movie, is it? Where it's, like, from the perspective of the serial killer? No. Okay. It's actually a pretty low budget, but I really recommend it. And uh, the name of the director is John McNaughton. Oh, okay. And Henry Portrait of Serial Killer is also filmed in Chicago, so there you go. Right on, full circle. I know. All of Chicago shit. It's just one of those, like, very, I don't know, chill vibe horror movies where you're never really afraid or anything but it's just like this is kind of creepy cool like your nightmares yeah (laughs) i love that's actually um yeah it's all coming back together now it's all full circle because i was talking to uh the dark waters podcast yesterday and uh kirsten brought up uh, the short story I wrote that that y'all published at uh, Maudlin House, the greatest show on earth, and um, that was just straight. I woke up just from the most fucked up nightmare, and I just like started writing notes, and that's what that story became was just from like this horrible nightmare I had that I was like, oh yeah, I got to use this as creative expression, or else I'll just cry. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. Okay, so now that we've actually discussed some of what you've written, definitely <laughs> check that out on Maldon House. On Jack's account, not mine, I swear to God, I'm not being biased. <laughs> um, how about you give us an introduction of who you are? Sure, self-marketing, let's do it. Um, I'm a writer, my name's Jack Moody. Uh, I'm from Portland, Oregon, that you now know. Uh, leave me alone if you live here. Um, and I've written two books. One's called Dancing Your Broken Records. And that came out 2018, I think. And then my debut novel came out with Outcast Press this year. And I have a new book coming out. It's a novella called The Monotony of Everlasting. And that's coming out October 1st with Anxiety Press. And I'm very excited about it. And it's a kind of big departure for me. And it was really fun to write. And I'm really excited about it. And I'm going to talk about it all the time. Well, how about you tell us a little bit about it now? <laughs> See, called you on it. <laughs> Shit. All right. Um, well, it's it's like total... It Well, it's about an immortal person. And... I got the idea from this like video essay I was watching about this person in history who claimed to be immortal, and the whole story about him is fascinating. I won't go too much into it because I've kind of already talked about it, but in other places. But um, I just got that that one idea of like an immortal person was such a a broad topic that I could like do anything with, and it just seemed fun and something I could kind of just go any direction with. And it turned into this novella that's about, you know, finding meaning in life and what do you do if you have unlimited time and what's the, like, what worth does time have if you have an unlimited amount of it? It's about purpose. It's about a lot of big questions that I think about all the time. I, I Big, heady, philosophical questions that are fun 
that kind of get explored through the the lens of this one character who lives throughout all of time and and it takes place throughout the entire life of the world till the end of the universe there's post-apocalyptic elements in it there's historical fiction elements in it that i had a lot of fun researching so i love that kind of stuff there's a bunch of sci-fi uh elements to it and it's just kind of one big like trippy philosophical adventure novella and um it was just it was it was so fun to write because it was so different than everything else i have and that's why i'm so excited about it and i really like it i do really like it some of my stuff i read and i'm like that's just depressing but i like enjoy the story of of this one like it's it's an entertaining book at least to me it's the kind of stuff i like you know it was i wrote something that i would want to read you know i feel like that should be the goal at all times yeah you know not write for the market write for yourself you don't want to be like uh the third album musician you know yeah. where like suddenly it's like oh you're trying to play yeah, to people you gotta now give the people what they want i don't even think i could do that I wouldn't know how to do that if I tried, you know. I guess, you know, you can hit the bullet points or whatever, but, like, I don't know. It just, it wouldn't be good because it, it'd be out of my wheelhouse. It would be totally false to whoever the fuck you are. Yeah. Which we're learning about right now. Yeah. <laughs> how old are you, by the way? I'm uh, 28. Okay, that's cool. I'll throw you in the millennial category. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in there. <laughs> I kind of, like, lost where, like, the cutoff is. So. Yeah, me too. I think I think I'm in there. I don't know. I was alive during 9/11. For some reason, that's always the <laughs> the marker. Like, do you remember where you were on 9/11? That <laughs> you're probably a millennial unless you were older than this age, then then you you probably did less safe drugs. And that's cool too. And then everything after your brain is just rotted by social media. I was right at that age. Being the age I how how old are you by the way? I feel like that's a rude um, question to ask. Oh no, I, was it rude when I asked? No. Okay. Well, okay. fair point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 31, but I turn 32, ironically, on September 11th. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, full, dude, it's all full circle. I know. Um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, it was super weird like my high school experience because we were like right on the edge. Like when I graduated, I graduated in 2012 and that's like, did you guys have the weird paranoia that the world was going to end? Oh yeah, totally. I remember specifically where I was on December 21st. I was at a house party at this, this kid, uh, at this rich high school was dating one of my friends. So we went over to his party and he lived in his like parents, fucking nice ass loft and everybody was doing whippets and then the world didn't end and um nothing changed we just kept doing whippets and then that was my that was my uh, apocalypse how was yours (laughs) mine very similar actually you know i feel like if you're a millennial and you didn't actually try and live it up that night then you really failed (laughs) I don't know how people older than us actually felt like if they thought it was going to end, but we really bought into it. I don't know if any of us actually thought it was going to, but we just smoked a lot of weed in our own self-made bongs, and then we went and did karaoke at a bar. That's the way to do it. 
That's an apocalypse party. Sing your way out. Oh, we actually like all kept picking like weird like apocalyptic songs and everything too. Yeah, you got to you can't stick with the theme. Yeah, but you try and get like five drunk people to sing "It's the End of the World" <laughs> by Aria. and it just turns into chaos. <laughs> and everyone else at the bar is like, "We also don't know how to sing it, but we're just gonna like throw out random words." <laughs> Like, just, like, muttering, muttering, and then it's like, it's the end of the world as we know it. Then just randomly go into massive stutters. Yeah, just pop in for the chorus, and then you can check out again. Yeah, I was like, da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> it's the end of the world. But, yeah. See, there is almost always a musical element to everything I do, like, in every historical thing I remember. Yeah, me too. Like, even with 9-11, I remember, I don't know if it was already a song prior to it, but do you remember that song, I'm Proud to Be an American? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Damn, 9-11 made that song a hit. <laughs> like, that is, like, one of my biggest memories from 9-11, actually. See? Like, you always hits with something. You're like, what was I listening to at this time? Oh, man. Um... I all I remember because I was I went to a Catholic school at the time I was probably like I must have been seven and I went to a Catholic school and I remember not knowing what the fuck was going on but all the teachers were freaking out and we had like an emergency mass (laughs) 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 to fucking pray for whatever and um and we got let out of school early so I was psyched and my dad took me to this like little mini mart and I got a blue Powerade, a thing of watermelon, uh, Bubblicious, and a cookies and cream Hershey's bar. And then I was just happy because I was in ignorant bliss and I had candy. That was my 9-11. What in the fresh fuck is this? You're not the only person I know who actually liked their day ended early. Ours didn't. Bummer. But a lot of, like, parents pulled their kids out of school, and I was in the minority of people who were like, I guess my mom and dad don't love me. (laughs) And, like, realizing, like, and it's my birthday. Oh, yeah, it's your birthday. I know. I didn't get my birthday cake that night either. Oh, that's so funny. I forgot. Yeah, I have a... Oh, don't worry. Everyone forgets until we start talking about it. (laughs) Yeah, I have one of my good friends was also born on on September 11th, and he has this story. He's he's my age, but he went to a different school at the time, and he shows up, and he has like a big thing of cupcakes from his mom to like give out to the class to celebrate his birthday, and everybody is just like crying (laughs) and terrified, and nobody wants to eat his fucking cupcakes. But no, I eventually was let out, and I read Harry Potter, and I watched the sky and being like, damn, there really are no airplanes up there. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that remind like, it was so trippy. You kind of, I mean, not take for granted, but you just don't really notice, like, when the, the pandemic, when the quarantine was, like, when people actually, like, gave a shit about, you know, protecting each other. Um, and quarantine was like full ass quarantine. 
just looking up in the sky, you forget like how empty it feels when there's no planes flying over. You don't really think about it when it's a common thing, but just like I remember being outside and seeing like a FedEx like cargo plane and it it was like like fucking the scene from Castaway, like oh my god, there's a plane finally. It was so weird. Sending out smoke signals. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> plane, hey, hey. <laughs> No, I remember, like, seriously, obviously, we all remember COVID. We're still in it. (laughs) Very much so, yeah. But, no, I actually got it. um, I was one of the first cases in Illinois. Shout out on that. I know, right? OG. (laughs) And I gave it to my uh, fiancé, who was my boyfriend at the time. So we got it over with right away. We actually got it over with right before the shutdowns happened. Which, oh damn! I That's know. early. We really got it like early. I mean, I remember very heavily that my doctor didn't even believe that we had it. They're like, "Let's yeah. test for flu shit." Flu shit. Then I don't know, maybe strep. And then eventually, like ten days later, they're like, "Maybe it's COVID." And by the time we got our test results back, it was like we're fine now. How how did it go? Were you like hella sick, or was it kind of manageable? Um. You know what? I mean, there were like two days that were really bad for me, but then the rest of it, because I have asthma, was really just oh, about shit. me trying to like breathe. But breathe. like, yeah. <laughs> I'm used to asthma attacks. So I was like, this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> but it sucked more for my uh, fiance. He actually cracked a rib from coughing too much. Oh no! Oh my god! Um, also, it has ruined watching those Disney live-action movies for me because he didn't get it yet, and I was, like, sweating out in a fever, and I actually, like, lost my shit. And it wasn't even that loud, but I was like, turn that piece of shit off. Like, it is too loud. (laughs) I, like, threw a pillow so hard at him that my cat ran away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm so careful about, um, like, what kind of media I consume when I'm, like, really, really sick. Because it will, like, taint that for me forever. Like, it'll just be, anytime I listen to the music or I watch the TV show or whatever, it'll immediately be connected to being so ill for me. And it'll, like, ruin it for me. Yeah, that's exactly the same thing here. I almost never listen to music when I'm sick. I'll watch movies, but, like, I know what my comfort movies are. That It's like, sickness can't ruin this. But during COVID, I actually couldn't even watch movies. <laughs> yeah, you just kind of have to lay there. Honestly, the movie was really going on in my head because I actually was having the hallucinations. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you get to, like, entertain yourself at least. That's nice. I know. Like, in my head, I was like, I am so happy I have watched American Horror Story so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, back to the isolation thing, because we got it so early and it was right before the shutdowns, once the shutdowns happened we were almost like only people on earth living in like an apocalypse and we got to just like free roam and like while everyone else was like hunkered down and shit. Yeah. That's weird. It definitely was like an, I am legend moment. Whoa. Yeah. Cool. The only people (laughs) out there were like us and Amazon drivers. (laughs) And whoever yeah, was dumb enough to still keep doing Uber Eats, I yeah. feel so bad. They're the real heroes. Yeah, man, they sustain people. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. 
I didn't get, I, I had, I'm like, and actually the, uh, the pandemic like really helped with this, but my whole life I have been like the worst fucking hypochondriac I know. I was terrified. I remember being in, I went to a summer camp and at the time I was embarrassed about it, but now it's like, oh, you just had like severe anxiety. So I don't feel as bad about it. But I went to a summer camp with my friend and one of the counselors told us about this plant called foxglove. That's like, if you eat it or whatever, it's poisonous and it'll kill you and they grow everywhere. So be careful. And I just got it in my head that I had touched it at some point and that I was now going to die. And so I was there for like two days and wouldn't touch my face ever. I kept being scared that I had accidentally touched my mouth and I kept like spitting because I was scared I would swallow it. I wouldn't eat any food. And then I ended up just like becoming a complete like anxious mess and I had to go home a day early and I left my friend and I feel and Oh, and I'm like reliving some shit here. And That's what we're when, here for. Um, <laughs> you know, when like it never really ended. I don't know if it was as big a deal to other people as it was to my little tiny terrified brain. But I remember for a little bit, there was like a whole like mad cow disease scare. And I remember that. And I heard about it and I was still young enough that I was terrified of the world. Well, more, more so. I still am. And. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still there. But, um, and I heard about it, and immediately, it was the only time I've ever gone vegetarian in my life. I didn't eat any meat, because just in case, I didn't eat any meat for like a year. I remember even like the top ramen with like the beef flavored packets I wouldn't eat, because I just assumed there was actual beef in there. I wouldn't fucking touch it. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't so, touch it for that flavor in general, but keep going. Yeah. It was probably for the best for other reasons that I just didn't submit my body to that. But um, I don't even know what got me off on this, but long story short, oh, yeah. Pandemics, <laughs> everyone's dying. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Centering me. Um, I, I, so I was a horrible hypochondriac. And so this was like my worst fucking nightmare, a global pandemic for a hypochondriac. It's like worst case scenario. And I, like, locked myself the fuck in. I'm already super introverted. I'm already prone to isolation. I like being alone anyway. But I just didn't fucking leave for, like, two years. Because I was getting that, that sweet, uh, that, that stimulus money. So I was like, no, I'm not working. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going anywhere. The world's ending. And... Um, but over time it, it's like, uh, I was talking to somebody about it and it's like, it's basically like immersion therapy. You know, if you're scared of spiders, they bring a spider into the room and then each day they bring it closer to you so you can get used to it or whatever and conquer your fear. It was like that, but with <laughs> like disease and I just got so kind of jaded by it and numbed by it that I just like, now I'm not as scared of that shit. I just kind of accept that it's reality and it's going to happen again. And so it took me like two years, but I eventually I had to go back to work and I got COVID in like June and uh, it sucked, but it wasn't that bad. We're proud of you for surviving it. You Thank did. you, Mallory. I, I like how <laughs> I say proud, like it, as if the people who died, like we were not proud of, but 
Oh my god. <laughs> the odds were not in their favor. Shit happens, man. Yeah. I mean, come on, we were talking about 9-11 and pandemics and shit. <laughs> I would like to say, though, don't lean too hard into the introvert thing, because I am, like, the hardest introvert there is. And I remember telling everybody, like, I'm going to probably be the last person to catch this, because I am such an introvert, as I then become one of the first people in my state to get it. <laughs> Just be like, oh, damn, I've been clowned. <laughs> okay so you know i actually know a lot of people like made their own playlists and shit like people like went really hardcore during the pandemic everyone started getting into vinyl again i actually like had one person get an eight track player and started recollecting eight tracks like oh, cool. <laughs> i know i was just like who the fuck but you know everyone has their weird things did you do anything weirdly music related to help you keep um, going during those two crazy years? Actually, I did. I got, <laughs> I got, I got, a, I got a record player and I started collecting vinyl. I did. Welcome to the party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was basically just that. I just became obsessed with collecting vinyl and I like tripled down on my drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> that was basically my pandemic. <laughs> I tripled down on my anxiety medication. <laughs> Probably a little healthier. I don't know if either one really is. <laughs> Both would have doctors looking at you being like, uh, you should probably not do that. <laughs> well, yeah, they were. That's actually, pro- I mean, it was bound to happen eventually, but the pandemic is, is pretty much, it was the catalyst for me to quit drinking because I had been drinking so fucking heavily. And I'd always been drinking heavily. I'd always been a fucking alcoholic. But it had gotten, like, so bad that the doctor was, like, you are, you're heading straight towards uh, cirrhosis. Like, you're going to fucking die. So I had to quit. And because I was already in isolation, I didn't have, like, the bar culture that I was used to. I used to just, you know, I used to live at bars. I was a total bar fly, and I didn't have that. So it was a little easier to make that, like, transition out. And so I, I went from drinking the most I've ever drank in my life during the pandemic to quitting towards, like, the end of at least, like, the restrictions. I quit, like, right before I went back to work. That's really good. And it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it just kind of worked out timing-wise, you know, seemed... (laughs) I I like, though, like, when, when you have, like, other examples in your head, I'm just like, you know, my brother just made his own bar in his basement. I, oh, yeah. I shit you not, he, he literally did. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember also, because like, he was the second person in my family to get sick, so we immediately were like, well, we could see each other, you know, that's fine. Yeah. And like he showed us the bar, and I was like, how much did this cost? He's like, it doesn't matter, we're going to be down here for a while. <laughs> and now every time we go by, I'm just like, so how much do you use this really expensive bar? He's like, you know, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> Like, are people still baking bread, or did that just kind of go out the window after a few months? You know, I feel like that one went out the window. The fun care packages really went out the window, and I really enjoyed those, too, by the way. You got care packages? That's cool. Oh, yeah. It's especially amusing to see what people put in the care packages when they actually discovered that I personally had COVID. My siblings, I mean, 
I'm just going to go to Instagram so I can look at the first care package they sent me. So you could be like, wow, this definitely will help you through COVID. <laughs> um, as I swipe through Instagram, I went to Istanbul recently, so there are a lot of cat pics. Give me a sec. Oh, cool. Are there like a bunch of just They're not everywhere. wild cats, but just like walking around the streets? That's cool. Oh, not just that. Like there are a lot of them that just kind of like chill in the restaurants with you and everything. They don't That's give a fuck. That's so cool. That's so cool. I have a lot of pictures of shit that I miss doing. <laughs> okay, here's here we go. When I told my sister that I had COVID, she decided the best idea was to send me rosé wine, Angry Orchard, a bunch of gummy bears, Twizzlers, jelly beans, M&Ms, <laughs> um, what else is there? Ho-Hos, Twinkies, and some Gatorade and cough drops. That's solid. That's that's like an all-around package. You got all the food groups there. I know. But just like the, hey, this illness that's killing everybody, my sister's got it. Let's <laughs> give her a shit ton of alcohol and fatty food. <laughs> throw some cough drops in yeah, on there. That evens it out. I know. Just like throw a bag in. That's okay. <laughs> a few Gatorade bottles. <laughs> Make sure there's like, a Gatorade bottle for every two bottles of alcohol there is. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have a chaser. Yeah. But, yeah. Alright, so let's start talking a little bit more about what kind of music you dig. Sure, man. Um, that's, like, the hardest question I always just kind of, I guess I just have to like, like what I've been listening to recently, because that's like the easiest, but also the stupidest, most obvious answer is like, oh, I listen to everything. But like, I, I, I do though. I just love music. It's like the only thing I talk about more than like books and writing and stuff. It's, I have, I, I listen to everything. I, I grew up on the older stuff and like jazz and older rock and from my dad and like blues and stuff and then you know i got into to hip-hop and classical music and and you know more like i got like five robbie shankar vinyls because that just fucking hit when i was a stoner and it, it stuck with me um i've been listening to uh jid just came out with an album he's this this atlanta rapper and the album is beautiful. He's he's kind of a you know like conscious rapper, but the dude can fucking spit. It's and he's got a hell of a singing voice. It's really beautiful. Uh, I've been listening to that. Um, I heard Taylor Swift is coming out with the new album. I don't think I've ever heard a Taylor Swift song. I don't know why I just jumped from that to Taylor Swift. I'm just kind of kind of thinking on my feet. <laughs> I, I mean, I do find that hilarious that you just jumped into it. It's like, yeah, I heard she's got something going on. <laughs> it's just, it's been, she's she's just such a, a brand that has just been seared into my brain, whether I want it to be or not, I guess. <laughs> See, I can never give the proper answers when it comes to Taylor Swift, so I just am, like, indifferent. I'm just like, yeah, you know, she's really good at what she does. And I never really say whatever it is she does, because I don't give a shit. Yeah, I know. I know. There's a song about her breaking up or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's like as far as my knowledge goes. I know. It's like I think she like doesn't like her ex boyfriend. I don't remember which one that is. 
that's like kind of a joke, but I was being serious. It's like something about breaking. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I feel like if you were to be like, there's a song about her breaking up with somebody, you'd have like five albums. <laughs> Well, you know, you got to find a theme. Yeah, she's got her brand. I mean, weirdly enough, I think the next... I, I've been fo- forced to listen to Taylor Swift a little bit more lately. Cause, um, I'm sorry about that. I know, it's really been hell. <laughs> My niece, well, actually nieces, both love Taylor Swift like she's a fucking goddess. They're what do you call Swifties. Uh-huh. And... <laughs> To break all gender norms, my fiancé is one, too. <laughs> well, power to him. Power to him, but I can't say negative. For my birthday last year, I got a Taylor Swift album, and I was just like, this is a <laughs> sick joke, right? Who who gave it to you? He did. Oh. <laughs> I mean, like he, he did eventually like give me other shit that I liked, but I said, like, you just slipped this in. What the fuck? <laughs> just gave me folklore and i'm like ah, i guess i'll listen to it i like the album art i haven't listened to any of the songs so that's all i can uh comment on the album art looked cool it's like her in in a woods or something yeah i mean that and evermore although i, I don't think she likes to acknowledge that she made that album although it has like one good song on it but the next one is called Midnight, and it seems like she's going to go with that same vibe of, like, kind of woodsy shit, cottage core. Yeah, I was going to say, just, yeah, riding the cottage core wave. I mean, if you go on Spotify and you look up, like, her random songs, she has all these re- remixes where it's, like, Sad Girl Remix, Lonely Witch Remix, Dancing Witch Remix, <laughs> and it's like, dear God. Then there's, like, a Happy Witch Remix. It's like, how many witches are you? Like, give it a break. <laughs> But folklore didn't necessarily help with my understanding of Taylor Swift was that she was a very privileged white girl. Because there's mm. this one song called Last American Dynasty. And I was like, this is like, okay, I'm, I'm vibing it. And it's about, uh, obviously, an heiress. Well, she's not an heiress. She marries an heir. And she totally parties like crazy, owns like one of the biggest properties in Rhode Island, total mansion and everything and it's a very quirky song because you're like oh okay this bitch is whimsical as hell fills her pool with (laughs) champagne and dyed a dog key lime green this is really quirky and then she's just spins it to the and then it was owned by me and it's like you crazy bitch and then the chorus just goes into what she does at the crazy mansion that she now owns for $14 million. So is this insinuating that this was a fantasy and she now bought it in real life? Or did she oh. murder the husband and took his mansion? Because <laughs> that's what I first thought. No, it's actually a total reality. The person, um, the, her husband died and then she eventually died. And now Taylor Swift owns that mansion and lives a very similar <laughs> life in it. And it's very fast. I didn't think that like her life was similar. I'd be like, oh, okay, maybe she's just got a mansion. But then I looked it up, and apparently there are a lot of complaints from neighbors of how she <laughs> uses that mansion. Like she'll have pool parties and like crazy like 
pool slides like flown in and she has her own bitch pack that comes and parties with her yeah i wouldn't doubt it if she fills her pool with champagne as well i don't know i'd for sure try that i personally feel like like she might have like bought the house just to write the song yeah that that (laughs) when you got that kind of fuck you money yeah you might as well I know, it's just one of those, like, this is a very interesting story. Hey, I'm going to call my realtor up really quickly. Hey, buy that house for me. Thanks. Okay, let's go on with it. I mean, respect for living it, you know? <laughs> Bring some reality to it. Yeah. So, like, I'll give her that, but most of her music, not a huge fan of. We have spent much longer on Taylor Swift than I anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I did too. That's the fun part about this. We spent longer on 9-11, to be honest. That's true. <laughs> Just 9-11 and Taylor Swift. We're hitting the bullet points. I feel like that might end up being the title of this episode. I, that sounds good. <laughs> but go on with your music taste, because you're the one who brought up Taylor Swift. I'd like to bring... I know, I fucked up. <laughs> I, I panicked. Um... Well, I'm just, I'm re-listening to uh, Junior Kimbrough. He's probably my favorite blues musician ever. I'm a huge fan of, of like, the like Mississippi Delta kind of style blues. They kind of strip back and, like, super, like, dirty, grungy kind of, like, rough around the edges kind of blues that came out of that, that, that area. Like, the Junior Kimbrough and... Like Mississippi, uh, Fred McDowell and and uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, for Mississippi Fred, <laughs> uh, Mississippi John Hurt. I should just go by Oregon Jack Moody. That seems to be a theme with blues musicians. <laughs> or Blind. I think there's like three different blues musicians that that are like Blind Willie something or Blind whatever. Like, I had no idea about this, and I'm just loving it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what it... I don't know if it's, like, a rite of passage to go blind, or if it was, like, it just kind of happened, because a lot of it was during the Prohibition era, and they were making moonshine, and, and, you know, they just went blind and kind of rolled with it and made it their brand, and if they did, you know, it's, 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 you know, respect. You know, if you're gonna... if If it's... Yeah, I mean, hey... Taylor Swift, you you buy the house to write the song, you go blind, then you take your name. It's all it's all different different pieces of the same spider web. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. So if um if your cool immortal novella had A soundtrack, what would it have? I like how I didn't even say the name of it either. No, it's untitled. (laughs) I'm just going to call it the Immortal One. Sick. Oh, yeah, I should just change the name. That's even cooler. Um, I want... So, alright, so I'm, I'm picturing... All right, yeah, let's 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 bring it back to uh to uh what's his name? The guy that directed the the, the Dark Knight. Christopher Nolan. 
Yeah. Just, oh, so, all right, Hans Zimmer. Get Hans Zimmer in there. Do some of the crazy, kooky, like, interstellar, you know, sci-fi organ piano shit. And then just throw in some, like, Mozart there for the the period parts. Mm -hmm. And then... And then just kind of let it let it ruminate there. Just a bunch of classical music, and then and then just thousand years later, weird synth pianos and shit. I was gonna say like it's got to go synth, right? Yeah, everything eventually does. All roads lead to synths, I think. Yeah, it feels just like the natural progression in life. Yeah, life and music, it goes synth. <laughs> But do you have any, like, cool playlists of your own that you make? I'm so bad at that. (laughs) I had, I still have my iPod somewhere. I think it's just under my bed. Ooh, which kind did you have? um, Not the big blocky one, but, like, the second generation. Whatever, whenever it became less blocky. But it's still, it's at least, like, 15 years old, probably. 17 years old. And it still works, as far as I know. I haven't used it in a while. But I had, like, one playlist. It was, like, hip-hop and shit. And then the next one was everything else. <laughs> and then just a giant playlist of just, like, oh, I like that song. I I envy people that are able to, like, sit down and make, like, oh, this is my summer playlist. This is my road trip playlist. That must be nice, that world that you live in where it's that organized, and you can just press something, and it fits what you're doing. I just I, I just swim through a, a swamp of music until something makes sense for, the, for the, the place I'm in, and eventually it works out. I mean, honestly, with me, when I make my playlists, by the way, shout out to the badass iPod. I mean, I found mine recently. I have an iPod classic, and I was like, oh my god, it still works. I need to listen to it again. I, I don't yeah, know what's on there. On. Especially because the majority of the music on it was pirated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know really anyone who actually bought the songs. That would have been way too much. But with playlists, I mean, I usually would just make them, um, especially on Spotify right now, like right before I was about to do something or like while I was doing something. So like whatever like song popped into my head. And now I'm looking at like other people's playlists. I am friends with too many people on Spotify <laughs> and like one person j- literally just posted fall again and it, it's a vibe you know they have like uh chris isaac the neighborhood lord taylor swift knew it coldplay <laughs> greta van fleet the lumineers fleetwood mac i mean the kind of shit you'd expect on a fall playlist yeah that's solid what are your thoughts about uh greta van fleet hmm i mean i don't think i have any like hard thoughts because I always see, like, two different camps. One is that they're, like, revitalizing that, like, 60s rock, like, bluesy rock sound. And then the other is that they just completely fucking ripped off Led Zeppelin. And I don't necessarily care enough either way to have an opinion. So I was wondering if you did. Because yeah, I don't care I enough to have an opinion. To. Yeah. Honestly, I was never that cuz I loved that era of music. That was like a huge thing I grew up on like the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, the Doors, Pink Floyd, um 
like all of that in like cream, like the kind of psychedelic sixties rock. And I guess Led Zeppelin was a little outside of of that, more towards like the you know kind of Rolling Stones, just like bluesy, you know, British invasion kind of thing that went into the seventies. But I just I don't know. I never really was a huge fan of Led Zeppelin. Something about the sound. I think maybe his voice or something, like the high register. Never really. I, I just I never got into it as much as everything else that was coming out around then. I was gonna say same here. The only thing I really associate with Led Zeppelin is one. I have one of their records somewhere stashed in my final collection. I don't even know which one. That's how little I pay attention to it. Someone <laughs> gave it to me, and it was the one person in high school I knew who would wear a Led Zeppelin T-shirt, and that's all. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Nice. Like, I wish I knew more about them because obviously they feel like a pretty iconic band. I know why they're called Led Zeppelin. That's all. Why are they called Led Zeppelin? <laughs> because they were told that they were going to crash harder than a Led oh. Zeppelin. <laughs> oh, well, that's clever. I know, it's very on the nose. <laughs> all I know about Led Zeppelin is just horrible, horrible facts about the band members themselves. <laughs> just really dark shit. I mean, isn't that like with most band members yeah. from that era? Yeah, just not good stuff. I not love good people. memoirs from those people. They're just so great, so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. See, Jimmy Page. That is the perfect intersection of music <laughs> and literature right there when they just write about themselves and you're like, dear God, you're admitting that. <laughs> Statute of limitations, man. Then make some money off it, I guess. There you go. Yeah. Jesus. Wait. Um. Do you have a favorite musician memoir? Ooh. Um. Man. Well, honestly, uh, I was a I was a big reader when I was a kid, and I read like all the YA stuff. I was a huge Harry Potter fan. All of that. Um, and then I started doing copious amounts of drugs as a teenager and I kind of stopped caring about everything and I stopped reading. That checks out. Yeah. Um, but then a friend of mine who is a huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan gave me, uh, Anthony Kiedis' autobiography, Scar Tissue. Mm -hmm. And I read that and I was like, holy shit, this is really cool. And it kind of got me back into reading a little bit. So I really liked that book. I haven't read it since I was, I mean, I must've been 18, 17 or 18, and um, I know he's a horrible piece of shit. Uh, not Anthony Kiedis. Well, maybe. But um, but the book was honestly really good. It's really fucking dark, but uh, Marilyn Manson's fucking autobiography, it's like the long, winding road out of hell or whatever. It's... It it was it, it, he's a good writer. I thought it was like well written. The story is horrible and dark and fucked up, and it's even more so now that everything that was already pretty obvious to be true is now kind of coming out. Mm -hmm. um, but I honestly really did enjoy that book. It was it was really dark, and it was I'm and I don't think he had any kind of ghostwriter on it because you he started tell. out as like a as a journalist in like high school or like right out of high school and and he'd go to like uh like he had some piece that he wrote about going to a um i think like a bdsm club or something 
and he kind of wrote about that in it and just telling his whole story and like his fucked up he has like an anecdote at the beginning where he was like I think his grandfather had died and they were like cleaning out his attic and he found like animal porn photos or something that his grandfather had like hidden and how it like twisted his his like perception of I don't it just super dark shit that was I mean that'll fuck you up made total mate early yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and he like starts off the book with an anecdote but i remember reading that and and just thinking that he, it was really well written that and um it's not an autobiography but uh the book about jim morrison nobody here gets out alive i think it's called Ooh, i like that one that i thought that was really good jim morrison is uh legend. i just he's a fucking legend and uh, I know I would hate him if I had ever met him in person. <laughs> Isn't that the best, though? When you like are like, I fucking love you as a celebrity. I never would want to meet you in real life. Yeah, that's just kind of my rule with everything. It's like, yeah, just don't don't meet don't meet your heroes. They're probably terrible people. You probably wouldn't get along. You'd hate each other. Yeah, you know, it's like also like they're terrible people, but maybe they're good people in their circle, and we just we don't know what that circle is like. <laughs> Yeah, it's too it's it's too easy to paint shit black and white when you have this weird uh uh what's what's the word for it the uh like the relationship between a fan and a celebrity where you think you're like fucking friends. Mm, I don't know. I know what you're talking um, about, but I'm- Yeah, but it's so easy to just like see those parts that are shown and then and then just paint and I'm and I I I'm literally like checking myself cuz I've just been calling out all these people calling them shitty people. But it's like you see one small facet of this person who is a complex individual like anybody else. Uh but then you just paint them as bad and evil because of this thing. And I think it kind of it it's too reductive mm. to the human experience. Like you wouldn't do that with somebody, you know, personally, you know, you'd at least you'd think that you'd be able to, to see the larger picture of who they are and, and circumstances and, and understand that it's a lot more complicated than people like to make it. I think it's really easy for people just to, you know, just to put a label on something, you know, good, bad, black, white, blah, 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 because it's simpler and, and it, we've been they're tabloid oh, reading and everything like they're only getting yeah. like the one dimensional vibe yeah it's just and i and i i think well it's also just it's it's human nature that started it in the beginning but we just have a very like binary understanding of of the world and it's super prevalent in in media in in religion and everything it's just this very like you know, there has to be a hero and an anti-hero. There has to be, you know, like an evil force and a good force. And it has to be, like, cut and dry so we can understand it, like, make sense of the world. And when people start to kind of push back on that and and try to introduce a little nuance to it, which there is with everything, it's so much more complicated. Then people then kind of start to fall apart because they can't they can't accept that the world is more complicated than they've decided it is so that they can be more comfortable. You know what I mean? No, I totally feel you. Not one of those people, but I understand them. Yeah. 
Have you met any musicians? Uh, none you've heard of, probably. <laughs> oh, actually, I have a fun story. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see, how much, let's see, statute of limitations, uh, leave names out, whatever. Uh, uh, you know the rapper G Easy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he's from the Bay. He's from the Bay Area. And my friend, actually, same friend who was born on 9-11 who brought cupcakes and everybody was crying. Same friend. Um, Hook me up with this friend. I'm sure we could exchange yeah. war stories. Yeah, he's a man of the people. Um, he also grew up in the Bay. And I guess, like, G Easy's cousin was like my friend's mom's boyfriend or like some you know cousin four times removed kind of situation but somehow they had some kind of link and so when he came to portland to perform he gets my friend's contact number like his manager does or whatever to get coke because he wanted coke before his show in portland but he didn't have a hookup so my buddy hit up our coke connection <laughs> and invited me to come to the show with him and we went backstage to give him <laughs> the coke that we procured uh and then watched his show and uh he's very tall and he gave us whiskey and that's my only story with anyone remotely famous <laughs> that's pretty cool though so guess so <laughs> honestly i mean i i like asking people if they've ever met any like musicians and i i think you know more unheard of ones are cool too because there's always like a weird story in there and i think almost everybody has met a musician that they like mm-hmm. yeah what do you have you must have one um okay i actually have a few i met billy corgan and oh, shit from my interaction, and as I said, you know, people have different moods, different days, you know, whatever, but he was kind of a prick. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, had just opened up a tea lounge here um, in oh, Chicagoland area. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, my friend was really drunk, I know, at a tea lounge, <laughs> and uh, started talking to him. Because um, he's an alumni of the high school that we went to. And I don't know, I guess my friend pissed him off. Or maybe he's just a douche. But it was very amusing to see Billy Corgan go off on my friend. That is amusing. That's fun. Yeah. And then um, once I was at a bar and I didn't know that Patty Smith was at the same bar. Someone else had to tell me. So that's not really an interaction. (laughs) That was just one of those after the fact of like, oh... Okay. <laughs> and I love Patty Smith. And then, yeah, me too. That's cool. Then the other one is uh, Frank Turner. I've met him a few times. I don't know if you know who Frank Turner is. No, I don't. He's a British musician. I would put him under the category of folk punk, kind of. Okay, cool. And yeah, met a few times and cool dude. I have another friend who annoyed him too, but he was cool with me. <laughs> I have one uh, once-removed story. Um, Modest Mouse, they're from, or at least they like live for a while in Port Townsend, Washington, 
which isn't that far from where I am. And I guess they had a house there for a while, or at least some of the band members live there. And um, one of my exes is from Port Townsend, and I guess they went to a house party where a couple of the members were also there. And what's uh, what's the name of the lead singer from Modest Mouse? Oh, fuck, that is so... Let me think for a second. I can figure it out. I'm trying to refuse to, like, Google it or whatever. I just... It's like... Brock something, something Brock, I think. I don't know. Well. Um, oh, Brock. Brock is his last name. Brock is his yeah. last name. Isaac. Isaac Brock, yeah. So I guess he was there with a couple of the band members, and he had just gotten completely shit-faced at this party and st- tried to start fights with everybody until he got kicked out. That's the only other closest story I have. <laughs> still a good story yeah i wish i was there that sounds fun it does sound really fun <laughs> oh i have another patty smith story oh cool um i ended up in uh the vip area at riot fest a couple years ago i had been crowd surfing and apparently that's like where they like kind of send you to like go around to the back and i decided to just smoke a joint with a security guard and patty smith was in the same area Nice. I did not acknowledge her back then, though, because I was just like, dear God, I actually crowd surfed. I was too much in that <laughs> euphoria. Yeah, there's too much else going on. Patty Smith can wait. I know. I was like, I'm, I'm seeing Kathleen Hanna play on stage. I crowd surfed. Where the fuck is my iPhone? Whatever. <laughs> what, was the, uh, what was the last concert you went to? Oh, dude. Okay. Bleachers, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know Jack Antonoff, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It was a pretty meh show. Um, I can't decide, though, if it like it was him and his performance or just the mood I was in when I got there. So it was like a really, really rainy day, and for some reason we legit just got there like right on time. Like we didn't even hit the opening band. We got there like right before he got on stage. Mm-hmm. So we were pretty much like in the back back, and I'm five feet tall, so you can imagine how this is. <laughs> hey, I I feel your pain. So I don't I'm know. Not if quite five feet, shitty. but I'm not that tall. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if his like shitty or if it was that it was rainy, and I was in the back back and just frustrated because we rushed. Maybe it was good. Maybe not. Time will tell. Time will tell. You know, maybe someone <laughs> would have, like, I do have one friend who was at the show, and he said it was amazing, so. Yeah. yeah. He made it yeah, to the front, though. Yeah, that might be better. Oh, man. Yeah, I got okay, I got two more cool stories. One, and I, I actually want to talk about it, because I think they deserve way more love. Um, the last show I went to just last week... There's this band out of uh, British Columbia, Canada, called The Gins, like J-I-N-S, The Gins. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been a big fan of them. They're super low-key, um, but I've been a big fan of them since I found out about them, because like some YouTuber who's also from Canada... Like found, I guess they like got kind of popular on like TikTok or something for a second, because the lead singer kind of looks like Kurt Cobain mm-hmm. and they do kind of like grungy like punk rock 
and so he, he they kind of got a lot of attention for him looking like Kurt and like kind of making music similar to Nirvana. And so the the YouTuber ended up interviewing him, and that's how I found out about them. But I listened to the music, and was like holy shit, they're so good. How did not people not know about this? But I just went and saw them at this like tiny dive bar on Hawthorne in Portland, and it was like me, my wife, and like two other people and then just the opening bands and that was like everybody <laughs> but i got to meet him and i got a vinyl off him and everything and he didn't have change so i just gave him all my money <laughs> and uh they played a fucking great show and um i'm still so fucking jealous about this one of my coworkers, she's this little thing she's like 17 and um Kendrick Lamar just came to Portland like a week or two ago and he played at the Moda Center like the you know the biggest venue we have and she somehow got to the very first row in this massive concert and she got like a video of of Kendrick like right next to her like rapping to her and she like threw out a vinyl and while he's rapping he signs her vinyl and it was the only thing he signed that entire day and she's like freaking out and she comes back to work and is like screaming about how Kendrick signed her her vinyl and she's and he's like rapping at her and I've never been more jealous of a child <laughs> before That's pretty legit. That that was very legit. Yeah, it was super cool. I really want, like, I love Kendrick and, and Kid Cudi. I'm a huge Kid Cudi fan, and he was just in Portland. But they, they're they so big now that they play at these massive venues, and I just, like, I'm too anxious around crowds, man. Like, I can't, it's a, it's a bummer. It's just, like, not worth it for me. I just get too anxious with that many people around and, like, that close quarters. Um, so I, I, I didn't end up going to those shows i need kind of like a smaller venue or else I, I just get too stressed out but i'm I'm bummed i missed those shows i originally was going to go to riot fest this year who knows maybe it's a surprise birthday gift that someone will randomly give me still but i i i have that same vibe now where like i don't know it's like i just don't like being too stuck in an audience especially as a smaller person i get a little claustrophobic yeah me too Whereas before, I didn't give a fuck, as you obviously could tell from the previous story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I was just doing whatever, whenever. But then again, that also is the when I was smoking weed and drinking a lot of alcohol time as well that played into it. Yeah. Whereas now yeah, I'm just like, yeah. Like, I might have a beer at a show, but I will nurse the hell out of it. Yeah. And mainly it's just because I don't know what to do with my hands. So I just... Totally. I don't know if anyone else has that issue where oh, like they constantly. just carry a beer just because they don't know what else to be doing with their hands. Oh yeah, absolutely. I do. It's just like everybody too. is looking at me. Everybody's looking at me and I need to look like I know what I'm doing. So I'm going <laughs> to hold a thing. And for some reason that fixes the problem. It does. That's why a lot of people think I'm on my phone all the time where I'm just like, I just needed something to do with my hands. Yeah, half the time I'm not even looking. I'm just scrolling up and down and zoning out. I'm not even looking at what I'm at what so whatever's on the screen. My favorite scrolling up and down and not really looking moment is whenever I get on the elevator. 
with anybody. And everyone knows there's no reception on elevators, but watch every single human being go on their phone <laughs> and pretend to scroll. All of us. Oh, God. <laughs> and, like, everyone's just like, anything interesting today? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, don't try to interact with me, please. I, j- I want this to be over just as fast as you do. Elevator <laughs> Let's just people ignore are the each worst. <laughs> the only good ones are like people who are also socially awkward, and like we all decide either to look at our phones or you're looking at the ground and they're looking at the top of the elevator. Like we're all pretending <laughs> we're not here. Course. Yeah. <laughs> but like then, if you ever have a kid that gets on the elevator, then you're fucked. Oh, God. They, even if they don't talk, they're just staring at you. Mm-hmm. They just have, like, fucking chocolate stains around their lip and just looking at you like you have something on your face, and I just want to yell. I don't like kids. I don't much. like kids either. <laughs> and I have 11 nieces and nephews. <laughs> well, then you can be, you know, you can be the cool aunt. That works out. You know, I, I do that for only a couple of them, see? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick your favorites. There's, there's too many. Everyone says that there's no such thing as favorites, and I'd like to call bullshit. There definitely are. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely. It, at first, my sister was my parents' favorite. Now I'm my parents' favorite. It's switched, and I've noticed. And I don't care what they say. <laughs> I know. <laughs> See, I'm the youngest of five kids, and it's been very much the rankings have been going up and down throughout the years. Yeah, it's a constant battle. You gotta stay on top or on bottom, depending on like you know if you want to disappoint your parents on purpose. I like doing that sometimes too. I'd like to I'm say really I always have like a solid <laughs> ranking. Like I will never be number five, even though I am the fifth child. <laughs> and I think that sucks that I am rooting for my one sister to continuously be a failure. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I like her so much; she's the only one I relate to. But please keep fucking up your life, please. <laughs> I need this. <laughs> and it's funny because the only nieces and nephews I like are her kids. Oh. <laughs> so it's like, you know, they're my favorites, but please never be our parents' favorite. <laughs> and I don't think there's, like, anything she could do at this point to redeem herself, so I think I'm good. Nice. All right. You made it. I know. I made it. <laughs> I'm proud of you. I didn't become an alcoholic. I did not become pregnant at a young age. <laughs> I'm just out here living my life, and no one actually knows in my family what I do. <laughs> That's the best. Yeah, just keep it a mystery. Don't worry about it. They're like, what are you writing? Uh, yeah, don't read it. You're fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you want to have a heart attack moment, actually see if they know what you do do. <laughs> <laughs> I let my parents read, like, some of my, you know, like, my short stories that I've been writing the last, like, year are some of them are just kind of like kind of trippy like sci-fi or like magical realism kind of stories so i let them read a couple of them but like especially with like my two books and especially my fucking novel um i'm just like don't even don't just don't (laughs) don't ever read it don't ever open it don't look in there i promise you don't want to (laughs) what i like is that when my most recent book came out I don't know which person decided to raise the alarm in my family, but everybody bought it. My publisher even asked, they're like, how many people with the last name Smart are there? <laughs> and I was like, that, that more than you want to know. We're a big fucking family. 
<laughs> it's almost like to the point where it's funny because like my publisher is a Mormon and I come from a family of Catholics, so it's like it's comparable. There are a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. I come from. Well, we're not religious, but we're Irish Catholic. What up? <laughs> By, uh, yeah, what up? Yeah, so I got a lot of aunts and uncles. Yeah, I got a shit ton of them, too. Welcome to club. We Irish Catholics in the gang. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chicago. Oh, yeah. Although, yeah, I will say, no one in my family is religious except my mom and dad. But back to it, almost everybody bought my book. Um, but only a few of them actually read it, so I'm pretty happy about that. They all yeah, said that they perfect. read it, but you could tell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know what you did, but thank you for buying it. You know, <laughs> just bring those numbers up. Don't worry about it. It really is, like, the best part, because it's like, if you read the book, you'd be mad at me. So. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, same with me and my pops. He wouldn't, well, I kind of... I I I think he'd like I I came I wrote about him in a lot more loving way on the my most recent novel but um in my first book I had to like explain to family members who said they bought the book like oh it's just it's just fiction it's just fiction that's somebody else's dad that is the party like, line it's super Awkward. Yeah. That is definitely. And I still a like. Line. Yeah, I, I still like. It's it's such a weird thing, like being a writer who writes anything kind of autobiographical, and with like, because, and it's always like such a weird way to even just like talk about it, like, um, without like, I feel like I have to like kind of walk on eggshells when I'm talking about like my own family, but like. When I was when I was a kid, my dad was, and I think he, I mean, he knows. My dad was very abusive when I was a kid, and he, you know, he's he's mentally ill, he's bipolar, and and he wasn't medicated, and he was very abusive uh, when I was a kid. It was not a fun childhood, and I wrote about it in my first book, kind of, you know, to you know pull out the teeth and 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 come to terms with it or whatever, you know, how how us writers process things but he became such like a beautiful amazing dude and he's gone he's gotten he's gone so far he's been sober forever he's he's medicated he's happy he's healthy and he's kind of been you know trying to do the dad thing and make up for it and he's very aware of of how badly it went when we were kids and so i i still like kind of feel that like guilt that I that I it, it, almost like I aired dirty laundry kind of that wasn't really my place in a way. I mean, it's my story, but it's also like I don't know. That's it's a, it's a weird dance to. And so I I put I talked about him and how he's doing now in in Crooked Smile, my most recent novel, and just like how proud I am of him and all that to kind of like almost like assuage my guilt partly, you know. I feel like I just got super heavy on you. I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> that is, like, exactly what we're here for. Yeah. Textual healing is to heal. Word. Textually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so I kind of... That was a big thing, and and the... That was... And that's kind of why, you know, back to the novella, The Monotony of Everlasting, coming in October 1st in audiobook and paperback with Anxiety Press. Um, 
Which is the best pressure ever. Yeah, it's perfect for me. Um, and and with all the short stories I've been writing that are going to be, you know, that are going to be the collection that my next book will be and whatever, it's it's kind of why I've taken such a hard turn into, like, very just fictional, kind of like, you know, asking bigger questions, kind of zooming out kind of stories. Because that the autobiographical writing, it gets... It, it gets kind of tedious in a way. It gets kind of, at least for me, it began to feel kind of like masturbatory. Like just thinking about your own experience, thinking about your own life, kind of reliving trauma and shit. Um, it, it felt like I needed to zoom the lens out a little bit and stop thinking about myself, you know. Uh, even though, I mean, it was helpful uh, you, you know, processing all this stuff and, and kind of seeing where I'm at and, and seeing the trajectory by looking back on it and, and writing about it. Um, but it's just been such a welcome turn to just kind of like be, be a writer, like a fiction writer and just like make up stories and have fun with it and really enjoy the process of creating instead of it being kind of always a therapeutic exercise, like in a very direct way. Because I think whether it's subconscious or not, any kind of act of creation is, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's it's therapeutic, in, and it can be therapeutic in, in a lot of different ways. But even through, like, very fictional stories, you're still kind of tackling uh, maybe, you know, fears you have, issues you have, stuff you haven't dealt with. And, and kind of consciously or subconsciously inserting it into the uh, the the conflict of the stories, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's been a lot more fun to still be kind of, you know, finding that that therapy and that and that uh, you know, inner inner searching, whatever, but through a much more like dissolved um, yeah, d- just a, a a more abstract medium. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more removed, kind of, more abstract. Yeah. yeah. And it's still kind of having that same effect on me where I'm like learning stuff about myself by writing these stories and I kind of read them back and I'm like, Oh, this is like a deep seated fear you have. Like this is some shit that you haven't unpacked kind of thing, you know, but you don't really realize it until it just kind of comes out of you in this, in this story. And then you kind of recognize it in this, made-up situation or this made-up character or whatever and it it makes it fun and kind of interesting and exciting but also kind of a positive thing for for you as the writer Mm -hmm. do you want to read any bit of that (laughs) um sure yeah i can read like a little thing from the novella yeah sorry if i was just rambling oh no no definitely that was actually like a perfect segue okay um, I'll read I'll just like a little excerpt from kind of in the middle of the story um, because I know I I gave you that little excerpt that's from the beginning of the novella that, that'll be probably out by the time this is recording for a bonus episode yep that'll be out this Saturday cool so I'll read a little bit just a small excerpt from somewhere in the middle of it and, um, and go. <laughs> I don't know how to start things. 
Okay. Nicholas reached into the drawer of his bedstand and pulled out a bent paper clip and a pen. He snapped the pen in half, letting the ink spill onto the stand like a Rorschach test, and dipped the sharpened end of the paper clip into the black puddle. His body was running out of room. Black lines like the incoherent scrawls inside a madman's notebook covered every part of himself that could be hidden with clothing. Nicholas scanned the scattered patches of white flesh still visible on his left calf before deciding upon a favorable location. Pain had become such a familiar sensation that something so trivial, trivial as the repetitive pricks of his makeshift tattoo gun were nothing more than a brief annoyance. After his 25th life and third attempt by his own hand, Nicholas began to worry he would develop an addiction to self-harm. Agony was the closest and only connection he had to mortality. Without it, he felt inhuman. He had long ago foregone with any form of companionship. Always the looming shadow of his condition would eventually rear its head and demand acknowledgement. If everlasting was his purgatory, then isolation was his penance. Nicholas had sired no children, had never married. The elder was his last friend. After that night, a thousand years ago, Nicholas vowed to never again experience that feeling of loss that would forever be inevitable, and so he remained alone. As the new tattoo healed, Nicholas stood and clothed his marked body. He pulled the mattress off the bed frame, revealing the dwindling trove of artifacts underneath. Swords taken off the corpses of Gaelic mystics, jewel-encrusted goblets stolen from the bedroom of a Holy Roman Emperor, medals of accommodation lifted from the uniforms of Nazi officers, simple artifacts gifted by ancient native tribes that were kept for nothing but sentimentality, early drafts and sketches done by humanity's greatest artists before the world had assigned them significance diamonds and gold bars that once offered no purpose but to gather dust in an Italian noble's vault into their liberation for a greater good. When a man sees enough days that a pure bowl purchased for two florins becomes worth a small fortune six hundred years later, the necessity of a job is a foreign concept. Money was no longer a pursuit Nicholas found worthy, but it was an inevitable byproduct of his condition. He had been rich many times, poor many times more, and could have been the richest man on earth if this were a goal he had set after, but more important than anything else was keeping a low profile. Obscurity was more valuable than anything else, and so whenever the time came, Nicholas would sell off something from his cash to a museum or a pawnbroker or a wealthy collector, whomever most valued privacy as he did. Money was a means to an end. Money was the paved avenue towards the knowledge he desired, nothing more. With the introduction of the modern age, Nicholas was forced to conform in society just enough to be left alone. The days of wandering the earth, blowing into a town for a few years with a fake name and backstory, had by now passed him by. But these two issues he had, remaining anonymous and pawning artifacts, many of which had become illegal to sell, serendipitously intersected within a single entity, the black market. These people not only held privacy and discretion to the level of importance that he did, but through the contacts he made selling Nazi memorabilia to white supremacists or sacred Native American totems to shady benefactors, he was able to find the right people who could, in return, sell them what he desired most besides the cure itself, an identity. Today he was Nathaniel Brower, age 29, born in 1991 to Martha Hopkins and August Brower in Pineville, Louisiana. He had a social security number and everything. The real Nathaniel Brower was chained to a cinder block, decomposing at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean off the Florida coast. He envied Nathaniel Brower for that. 
Nicholas took out a pocket watch that was gifted to him by a fellow British World War I pilot to be sent to his wife if he weren't to make it back from his flight. He didn't, and she was long dead now as well. The watch still ticked. He stuffed the watch inside his coat, moved the mattress back onto the bed frame, and walked out the door to collect the last bit of money he needed for his endeavor. And scene. I'm happy you said that, because sometimes people are just like, and they just kind of stop. <laughs> I wanted to save the awkward silence for me. Oh, don't worry. I really appreciate it, because I've actually also had it where like people take a long pause while reading and be like... That was really great. And they're like, I'm still writing. I'm still reading. And it's like, oh, my bad. Keep going. Uh, I'll let it. You'll never know if you listen to the episodes. I hide my idiotic moments. Yes. Okay. Is there anything else you want to share with us before we go? Um, no, I don't think so. I just, I really appreciate you having me on. This was fun just talking about all this stuff. Yeah, I actually, you're a very, very fun guest. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I'm glad. It's It's been a nice change of pace, because I don't really like talking about myself all that much, so it was fun just kind of shooting the shit about music and everything. Exactly. Isn't it more chill? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I dug the vibe. I really appreciate you having me on. All right, that was a very weird and fun episode with Jack Moody. Definitely hit him up on Twitter, at Jack underscore is Moody, or his link tree that will be in the show notes. I will provide the spelling for everything. As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter at Pod Healing and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. If you would like to help us out, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review and maybe grab some merch on our website. It's all cool. Check out past episodes and keep a lookout for the new ones to come every Saturday. This is Mallory Smart. Thanks for listening to the show.